Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If we can laugh at our flaws, then it makes us, it makes us in front of other people, it makes us more approachable, maybe warmer, you know, to laugh at, to laugh at yourself and to laugh at the things that, you've done wrong or that you've messed up or whatever yeah it just because everyone has been in that situation you're just reaffirming how everyone feels on occasion welcome to the humorology podcast with me paul barros and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business sport and entertainment who are going to share their wisdom and their use of humor with you Humorology is the study of how humour can dramatically improve your business success and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to subscribe, like and leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest on this edition of the Humorology podcast is a much admired musician, composer and graphic artist who may have had more hits than he's had hot dinners. He's a founder member of the legendary and much loved band Madness, who, after 40 years at the top, are still energising and exciting stadium sized audiences around the world with their extravagant and exhilarating mix of music that spans ska to pop. With over 30 hit records in the UK alone, the band's videos showcase their anarchic love of comedy and entertainment, which cemented them in the psyche of music lovers worldwide. As a brilliant and groundbreaking bass player, he adds the big bottom to myriads of music that make your memories. Mark Bedford, Welcome to the Humorology podcast. Hi, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. So what is it about funny people that the audience love so much? They like, I mean, funny people, I mean, because laughter serves a social function, basically, I think. It's, you know, they say that laughter is more about relationships than humour. So you're immediately, when you're cracking a gag or you're laughing, you're actually inviting people to come with you along the way. And I think Alan de Botton said that um, it, it turns people from being an idiot into a lovable idiot and a slightly more complex person. So, yeah, anyone who, anyone who can make people laugh or share their humour are always invited in. And it's, I think it, I mean, it's also has a very um, basic function um, because it kind of it signals cooperation as well, laughter between people. And if you get that cooperation of people on your side, 
then invariably you form a better relationship and maybe in the context of business you can get things done maybe a bit more. I love Alain de Botton and uh, I, I thought using that quote was amazing right at the start. With your band Madness, did you intrinsically understand or that humour was going to be a differentiating, differentiating factor in, in making you stand out, essentially? Yeah, I think so. And I think we used it firstly and firstly because we um, came from an era where there were fantastic comics, always on television, always monolithic, you know, that everyone gathered around the television to watch Tommy Cooper, Morecambe and Wise. Um, one of my favourites, Dave Allen, who I loved, who was a sort of darker humour. Um, and we come from not only loving music, but we, the band comes from also having a really good knowledge, actually, and, and loving comedy. So it's it was no surprise that we could actually, you know, sort of funnel this into what we were doing. You mentioned Dave Allen there, who's also a, a favourite of mine. And for younger listeners, he was uh, an Irish comic who actually was mainstream, but also alternative before mm. there was a world for alternative who else makes you laugh? I like the dark humour of Dave Allen, for example. Um, humour that is what you call gallows humour or black humour, you can call it as well, which is very prevalent within bands because there's always a, there's always a joke in bands that if something's going wrong, bands normally say, well, at least the Titanic had a good band on it. So that's, <laughs> that's the kind of sort of that, that when something's going wrong, that's the kind of humour that normally comes out. I'm a big fan of quite absurd or what I suppose they call surrealist humour. I mean, I suppose Monty Python is the classic example of that. And also probably more contemporary, um, Reeves and Mortimer, you know, Vic and Bob are absolutely fantastic. Their, their humour is brilliant. It's very, very playful, uh, which I really, really like. And then possibly a third category you'd call play on words. I love when people mangle the language and play on words. If you think of... Uh, the two Ronnies, you know, hef you, any, hem and X, I think, you know, <laughs> things like that, where you're where you're playing with language. And that's why that they're, they're the kind of areas that really, really make me laugh. You talked about the, the band having or bands and musicians, which is where I come from as well, um, having gallows humour. And it's that's very sort of doctors tend to have that. There's certain professions that have it. Is it, it? Can you sort of recall any kind of funny stories where the gallows humour has come into play with the band? Well, bands, yeah, bands are invariably thrown together. And if you if you're going concerned as a band, you invariably go out and play gigs and you invariably spend a lot of time with one another. So you develop a team humour almost to get you out of mainly, with musicians normally difficult situations or situations which aren't going well or you've it, for example you've traveled sort of like 500 miles on a on a on a shipping sort of on a shipping container sort of ferry overnight to only to get to the gig and find that there's no pa there you know i mean it has it does happen but then you use that kind of dark humor to um really pull yourself together and try and get through the situation and i'll give you a I'll give you a bit of a story. Uh, we were, um, we had done a TV show in Europe. Uh, we'd done it with uh, a very, at the time, very, very famous pop star in the UK, uh, who I can name or I, I won't name, 
but he did wear pirate gear. Let's put it that way. And um, we had a great time on the TV show in Germany. We came back on the same flight. We sat next to my We chatted to him, you know, really great. Your career's going well. Fantastic. So we get to lunch, to Heathrow. We get out of customs, passport control. Stiff records have sent us uh, a clapped out Ford Transit van with a, with a sliding door on the side. The thing is belching smoke. So we pile in, all seven of us, tour manager, luggage, sitting on top of one another. It's such a bad van, it barely makes it past the perimeter of the airport. And as we're just pulling out of the airport, the side door falls off. And, just, and we leave it behind in the distance. So in the classic comedy way, we pull up the van, all get out and start running to go and pick up the sliding door from the hard shoulder. As we're doing this, we're all standing there holding the sliding door and go. And there goes the 1980s, very famous pop star in a stretch Bentley as he goes by. And the look he give us, gives us is absolutely priceless. And we just, of course, start like raising two fingers to him and everything like that and just start laughing. And, you know, it's situations like that where you're in adversity, but you see the absurdity of it at the same time. And you all laugh about it and you all get over it. Instead of getting angry, going, why is he in a huge limo? Look at us in this really crappy van. That's what you do. And, you know, it's actually interesting that with musicians, their van is their office, actually. If you have a business, uh, if you go in parallel with business, their van is the office because so much goes on in a van in bands, you know, doing all sorts of stuff. So So do you think that, uh, you know, in adversity, humour actually comes out and levels things off. Yeah, I think so, because I think laughter uh, particularly is, um, you know, I think philosophers would say laughter is uh, a mechanism that just keeps you from despair a lot of the time, you know, so that you, you know, most of the time, all everything, you think everything's going wrong in the world, but actually laughing just stops you sort of teetering over the edge a lot of the time. Why does every musician in the world quote Spinal Tap and is obsessed with Spinal Tap. Now, you and I are both that way. Is it because it actually highlights all those things that musicians understand and know? Yeah, it's a it's a it's an incredibly it's funny, but it's incredibly accurate. A lot of the situations that the, you know, that Spinal Tap get themselves into. And I I was very lucky to see the first uh, the preview showing in in Notting Hill when it first came out with a lot of other musicians and I could tell you it was split down the middle 50% thought it was real and 50% sort of yeah thought it was a kind of comedy you know because of they'd all been in those, those situations and it's regularly quoted musicians always quote Spinal Tap wherever they are in any situation it's a fantastic film it really you know it really is and it and as I say humor is truth you know it, was it humorous truth, but only faster? I think someone said. Well, so. no, well, actually, there's one quote which is uh, humor is tragedy plus time. Yeah. And 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 that and I suppose everybody because there is a huge anybody out there who's listening to it who hasn't uh, watched Spinal Tap, please. It is it is the greatest film ever made if you're a musician. Yeah. But it also hits on so many truths. And and that's what I'm interested to talk to you about is the truth behind it. Do things become funnier when there is an essence of truth? Oh, always, I think. 
always because I think we we relate to it even more you know that if if something's gone wrong or if you know you're in a group of people and you're working and if something goes wrong and you can always reminisce about it and laugh and if you can reminisce and laugh about it then you're in a better place I think you know so that that truth you know the truthfulness of situation coming through with humor I think is always so much better you know and actually puts people in a much better place and I always say I think it's always an antidote to anger a lot of the time if you get wound up or really angry about something if you can laugh about it finally then you're probably in a better place I would say well, uh, well, that's interesting because the the whole humorology uh, ethos and podcast is around how it can change for the better all kinds of business situations. And somebody who's you know played at Buckingham Palace and who's played in the biggest stadiums in the world and the biggest festivals, you've been under real pressure. Do you think that you just said that humour bursts that bubble of pressure? Can you talk a bit more about that? When you when you get up on stage uh, in front of a lot of people, I, I I think it's the biggest conjuring trick going because I don't know, I don't know what people think when they're watching you, but you know we're not kind of we're not any different. We're just actually controlling it a lot better. I think I think when as you know from performing, a lot of it is about the position you put yourself in to say that you can actually go and do it. And maybe the difference is that some people never make that leap who might want to perform, but can never quite get them in the right place to actually go and do it, you know. And it's also a learned thing. It's something that you learn. The more you do, you probably get better at it. So that goes for every aspect of the music business, the entertainment business, Mm. but probably because you've worked in the other business in graphics and and things do you think that's true across the board or is it specific in music if you can relax and maybe laugh about certain things it puts people in you know it kind of relaxes the people who are you're asking you know and i think that's yeah it's a it's a good skill to have i think maybe maybe we'll get onto this i mean there's a line that you have to walk i think you, you know because you don't want to be because sometimes laughter, you can laugh at someone, which is never, never really fantastic. So, I mean, there's a distinction there. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's the same. And I think people who do different jobs or whatever, if they can use, if they can have to talk to a group, a larger group of people and maybe some people they don't know, then, you know, as we as we always say, breaking the ice is probably quite a good thing because there's a shared there will be a shared experience that you can tap into, which puts people at ease, I think. That's very interesting, actually, that whole thing about the shared experience, because when I'm working with people I and I'm advising, you know, CEOs or whatever, I say it's much more important to listen because all good connection and humour from connection comes out of listening. Mm. And it's it's the understanding that really it's hard to do a gag. You can't go into a meeting or uh, and go... I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this gag when I walk in the room. Yeah. It never really works, does it? You have to feel what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. You have to feel your way in. And and one, I think one interesting that you're touching on there about laughter and about humour, it's a real, it really does balance up power. And I think if you're in a position of power, I think it's a very good skill to have is to listen and allow people who, you know, that 
maybe that either work for you or yeah or you're kind of maybe more say a, a senior position of but it's to listen and let them laugh and let them make jokes because it really does balance things up and people again feel that there's a kinship more between one another i think it's quite an important point there i like the word kinship i think that's really the thing because i think that's what humor does is it drags people together and go oh from a psychological aspect we like people like us and automatically if you share a sense of humor you are automatically in the tribe aren't you yeah 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 and it signals as i said it signals a, co a cooperation you know it signals that you're in agreement you know which is like very very important yeah amongst groups of people i think that's what we do and as i say it's a almost a survival tactic i think in a way you know if we're if you're kind of brought into that group and you're joined together by humor it's a fantastic it starts to create a fantastic bond i think you know it's interesting i mean you don't have to name any names but have you seen because of course i'd love you to <laughs> <laughs> but but have you seen, because one of the things that our listeners may not know is that the tension in bands and, you know, the euphemism of musical differences. Mm. Have you seen the the thing whereby that people don't get on, which they often don't in band, based on actually having different senses of humour and that splits the band up? Have you ever seen that happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know... I won't name I won't name uh, I won't name people directly but again there there are a few quite famous people who've sold a lot of records and it doesn't equate to to their humor really let's put it that way I mean I'm probably being quite polite putting it that way but you're absolutely right yeah tension tension uh, yeah you could say it might be dif the difference in personality as opposed to humor but humor is such a huge part of personality and there are bands who just yeah you can just tell that there's a tension there and they can't release that valve that something and releasing the valve is normally by laughing or humor. And uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it must be quite a miserable place for people sometimes, I think. Well, you and I were having a conversation a little while ago about a very uh, in the 80s, a very, very famous American singer who was extraordinarily talented and beautiful and uh, great. And all of us spend a lot of time in green rooms waiting for something to happen. And I was in there with bands, big stellar bands, and we were all backstage. And this guy just didn't have a sense of humour about himself. And all that did was create the atmosphere where, and we can say it's a podcast, where every other band was taking the piss. And it suddenly drove a wedge between him and us. Yeah. And we all bonded more, the more. Now, that's more the cruel side of, uh, of humour in, in some aspects. But you, you started to touch on, the, you know, how humour can be used, because it can be. And, and musicians can be sharp-tongued if we... Very much so, yeah. Particularly <laughs> if there's a drink involved as well, normally. <laughs> Hold on, what you're saying is... Some musicians drink, do they? I've heard. I don't. I mean, I don't myself, but I've heard. <laughs> down the, in all my years of doing this, I've actually heard that people do like a drink occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an exclusive for the show. Let's <laughs> <laughs> stop now because we're ahead. I can tell you. <laughs> um, 
do you think that everyone is funny or do some people completely lack that funny bone um yeah i think people do um i think people have their own feeling about what humor is and about what humor should be although i was told quite a so sobering thing by a friend of mine is danish and her grandmother reached 100 years old and who came and who came out this very deep piece of philosophy and said I've never laughed very much because when I was born, there was nothing very much to laugh about. So that was quite, I mean, that was quite, I thought, okay, well, that's maybe why they, that some people don't laugh. So, um, well, but you say that, that, you know, the second world war, my father, God rest his soul, was 17 and thrown into the second world war. Yeah, and he said that, the thing that kept them going was what you started with was the gallows humor mm. about their situation. They were yeah. stationed outside Dresden right. and had spent three months going in and out. Yeah. And that was horrific. Yeah, yeah. To just one night, well, two to 36 hours just to see it leveled. And he always said, you know, well, you have to laugh or else you'd cry because it's yeah. so deep. I mean, they do say if you can find a laugh in, in the most, yeah, in the darkest of situations, then, you know, that really is something. And that that really does show a hell of a lot of strength. But but it's true. Some people's experience, obviously, is, yeah, kind of either curtails their humour or makes them think that they can't really laugh about things as much, you know. Well, no. Well, I think the important thing for me there is they think it about themselves. I mean, right. when you think of... Some of, I mean, some of the comics I've known over the years have had very dark pasts, but they've used it. I mean, it's now it's on record that Billy Connolly um, that suffered sexual abuse by his father uh, when he was young, but he still found life funny and still managed to make the world laugh. So, how much of humour is attitude rather than aptitude? Oh, I think it is attitude. Yeah, quite a lot. I think sometimes you, you know, you, they're obviously intellectual comedians. There are comedians who use their intellect to make you laugh. But there are people who are just plain funny, you know, who are just funny people. Maybe don't know why or don't know how, but they're just funny. I think that's, I think, yeah, there's a definite distinction there, you know. But, but it just shows you what a, what a very big sort of broad church humour is, you know, because it just, it fits everyone in in any different way. I saw, if it's not too obscure, I saw some Russian ballet once. And I, I was, you know, there was the prima ballerina and there was the male lead and they were fantastic and they were brilliant dancers. But my eyes kept going to a really old guy who was playing the part of an old king or something. And he, um, my eyes were being drawn to him because I thought, God, he's in, he's in nearly everything, this bloke. He's, he must be about 70 years old but he's actually part, nearly part of every scene. And then I realized his job was to move the action along. So he would almost be gesturing and like, you know, like in, in, he, he was kind of dancing, but it was his gestures, like literally making your eyes kind of go and follow the action, you know? And I, it's quite interesting that it's used in the arts that way, you know, that you've got this guy. My job is I'm not, I can't leap up in the air anymore and I can't kind of like lift women above my head and spin them around. But, I can actually say to you, this is where we're going. And actually, 
it actually links quite nicely to music because there are people in bands whose job it is. And funny enough, particularly bass players, our job is to hold up the big pointy finger to say, this is where we're going now within a song, you know, because we bridged the, we, we, we bridged the melody and the rhythm. And our job as bass players is to hold up, you know, the road signs that say, okay, we're going to the chorus now. And then, okay, now we're going to take it down a little bit. And now we're going to go back to the chorus again. And that's your sort of fundamental job as a bass player. So you are the finger pointing, this is the way to go. Humour equivalent of... Uh, oh, that's yeah. really interesting. The sign poster, essentially. Yeah. But but I'm really interested in the, the whole thing about... You see, humorology isn't just about, you know, here's how to, you know, tell a gag at a party for your boss. Here's how to tell a gag on stage. It's more about the psychology of humor. And what you touched on there was really interesting is find your place. Mm. And you will be loved to finding your place. And your place in the humor hierarchy doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be the gagster. No. You could you think and and that analogy with the band, you you know, you have a job in the band. Yes. And and I suppose it's like football, you know, you know, your job is to go and get the ball and pass it to Paul Pogba. Right. You know, exactly. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But that's, you know, I remember the Alf Ramsey story in the World Cup when Nobby Styles and Jack Charlton were trying to play a bit, you yeah. know, and spread yeah. a pass, you know, 40 yards. Yeah. And he took them both aside 
and literally said, stop. Your job is to win the ball back and give it to Bobby Charlton. Yeah. That's it. Yes. And, and that was because, and Jimmy Green, that's why Jimmy Greaves, possibly the best, one of the best players of his generation, never made the World Cup team, did he? Because he didn't have that, they couldn't find a role for him because it might, you know, imbalance the, the rest of the team, you know. And music, I mean, music's so like that as well, is, as you know, that, you know, it's a phrase that's always kind of used. Yeah, you know, um, good bands have great players and uh, great bands have good players that know their jobs, you know, and that's a real truism in music, you know, that everyone knows their place in what they're doing. And I think that, that you hopefully that can transfer to the workplace as well, that everyone feels that they can actually fit in with a, with a task, you know, that they're doing. And I think it's maybe, it's a great skill if you can, if you need to talk to a group of people and make them all feel like they, they do have a place and they know exactly what they're doing, you know. And again, that, again, that, that really bonds people together, I think. So that's, that's the leadership role is like, is to make everybody aware that they're really important to this seamless uh, running. Yeah. And you may be the guy who's considered the life and soul of the party. But actually, if John didn't start or Mary didn't start the laughing or didn't create the atmosphere or yeah. thing, it wouldn't go anywhere. I, I just think that the band analogy is is really good for business as mm. well. Yeah, because absolutely. Well, I mean, you've been together for over 40 years now. Mm. I know you started when you were seven. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but that 40 years, I mean, to get on with the same people for that length of time. And I mean, people struggle to work with people in their office yeah. for a year. Yeah. What What's the secret it can involve humour, it can involve anything else. What's the secret to getting on with people, that lightness of touch for that length of time? I think is to have empathy, to actually realise when you should talk to someone, when you should just leave them on their own and leave them be for a little bit, you know, picking the right time to bring up a difficult situation that you might want to talk about. And then, uh, and also on the other side is, injecting humor into a situation so that it lightens lightens the mood and also makes them laugh and it, and makes them you would hope um feel that that's why they're doing this as well you know we're all doing this because we have moments like this you know and it reaffirms the group but it's a real i think it's a skill i don't think anyone's blessed with it i think it's something you learn and hopefully you learn you know you learn over a long period of time you know Oh, that's interesting because uh, I've had many conversations with people like Paul Merton and everything. And uh, I tend to think that it may be the one skill that you can't learn to be funny. No. You just mentioned being empathetic. Yeah. You can learn. Yes. Could, did, was that instinctive with the band and in your life that the comedy was instinctive? I, I can't see that any of you, having known you a long time, any of you actually learnt any of that. You just got better at it, didn't Absolutely. you? Yeah, yeah. 
And I think it helps with us in particular that we all came, we're all roughly the same age. So we all roughly came from the same place and we all, our influences are very, very close. So in anything, art, music, comedy, we all come from roughly the same place. And I maybe that, that gives you a, a, a shortcut maybe. So bigger question, what would the world be without humour? I don't know. I think we'd be the shell, kind of a bit of a shell, really, as people, because uh, it makes up such a to laugh and to and you know to have fun and be funny and to see funny people is such a huge part of what keeps people going. I I couldn't agree more, but I'm one of the things that humorology is about is not just about business; it's making your life better. And I think that if you can laugh more, your life is better. Mm. Um, and I mean, I'm just astounded that Madness have been together 40 years. Now, I'm sure it's not without any kind of crosswords, but there must have been a level of understanding born of humour that that made it transcend to a different place. What's kept us going is we have a fantastic sense of compromise. I mean, we somehow always, however bad it gets, it, you know, and we do have our arguments, but we do manage to compromise somehow. And I, again, I think you learn that as well, but also I think it, that, that may be something, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if that we're similar in that respect that we maybe all know fundamentally to keep ourselves going, we need to do that. So you, as much as you try and dig your heels in, some you know you know that you have to give a little bit. I think it's 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 like in any relationship or in any group of people, you know that you're going to have that, and it's how how you get over those stumbling blocks that um, keeps you going, really. You know, and and as I say, hopefully you you get better at it. Well, if you put your attention on it, which is one of the things that the, why I really wanted to interview you for this series, is that I think that all successful people have the kind of attitude of humour on some level is important. I, I mean, I don't think you run into very many successful people who stay successful over a long period of time who don't have a level of self-deprecation mm. or putting it in perspective, which is what humour does. Yeah, because if we can laugh at our flaws, then it makes us, it makes in front of other people, it makes us more approachable, maybe warmer, you know, to laugh at, to laugh at yourself and to laugh at the things that you've done wrong or that you've messed up or whatever yeah it just because everyone has been in that situation you're just reaffirming how everyone feels on occasion i think i, I want to share with our listeners that uh we used to play football together <laughs> yeah and this <laughs> when, I say, when i say play uh, <laughs> but actually one of the tenants of our football team was that you only got invited back a second time if you were, in inverted commas, a good bloke. Yeah. You could have been the best. Where, I mean, you could have had Maradona's skills. But if we didn't find you warm, humorous, uh, funny, whatever, 
you were never going to be invited back. Right. Why do you think that was so important to us? What is interesting about that is that if you take just playing park football, that's a kind of performance because you are putting yourself out there to go and kick a ball around. And, and you know, and, it, and it's shown in performance that if you're more relaxed and you've had a laugh in the dressing room beforehand and then you go out and play, you and you probably play with just a more relaxed attitude, so you probably do better things. And also, if you know, of course, that you're not going to be beaten with a stick at half-time by the rest of the team because you missed an open goal, it does happen. I mean... <laughs> why, why are you looking at me? <laughs> it does happen at our level. Uh, a lot of things in life are a performance in many ways. You might not be stepping on a stage, but by a lot of things you do, you are kind of performing in front of people, in a way. So if you can come to that in a relaxed fashion, and have a good laugh about and have a good laugh about messing up as well then it, it engenders you to people straight away i think and actually relaxes everyone else i i think this is like a really important point for businesses because they tend to sort of like you know not see the analogy there of of like you're going to get the best out of people if you've shouted at somebody and go come on just get better that person is going to freeze. And as a, as a musician and as an artist, you will understand that we all need to be in what is known as flow state for, you know, sports yeah. people, musicians to give of our best, which is what I think you very articulately said uh, just then. But in business, I think there sometimes is too much. This is a really big pitch. Right. It's really important that nobody screws up. Yeah. And, and suddenly everybody's hearing, don't screw up. Oh, screw up. in very <laughs> Yes. And there's a very large sort of like stick over their head. Yeah, exactly. I, and I think, you know, in any business, if you are putting too much emphasis on the end goal, we must win this business. Mm. I think it puts so much pressure and maybe the the release of the pressure valve is the humour and going, look, we can all screw this up. And uh, think, but I tell you what, we're going to have, uh, we're going to laugh about it, whatever happens. Yes. Do you think that's too simplistic? No, I don't. I think it's absolutely true. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, yeah, give you a music sort of story where I was about to go on stage um, with a guitarist who was filling in for someone. And we were standing at the, side of the stage and I could tell he was wobbling you know he was he was just getting too nervous he was getting almost so nervous that I was thinking his fingers aren't going to move you know because he's really feeling this and I and I sort of said to him you know look are you, are you, are, you know are you nervous you might as well get it out there's no use in in just sort of saying no no I'm fine he said yeah I am I'm really really nervous and I said to him you know which I think it's maybe correlates to business you know I said look we've done the work We've done the rehearsing. We've done the hard work. Now's the time to enjoy ourselves. And we'll go on and we'll play. Don't worry about making mistakes. Don't worry about it at all. We'll all make mistakes. You know, I've, I've been playing these songs for years, but I'll make a mistake somewhere. Laugh it off and just keep going. And just enjoy yourself. And I think that that's a fantastic thing in business. You talk about doing a pitch. I think a lot of the time 
with people is that I think it's to enjoy the build up to it is is actually the thing and actually get the satisfaction. So when you actually go and deliver a pitch, you feel like that you've done a lot of the hard work and that, that's what you should actually be congratulated upon. And I think that that kind of relaxes you to actually then go out and do do that pitch because you're starting from a position of going, well, I've done the hard work. It's been fun. Look at what we've achieved here. And now we're just going to show people it, you know, what we've done. So it immediately tips the emphasis sort of like off of you to feel really nervous, you know. Well, I, and I think that's what good leadership, which you, you've just shown that with the guy you could see who was terrified of going on. Mm. And really what people are, uh, are terrified of is terrified of making mistakes, terrified of being shown up, mm. terrified of, you know, this might be the end of my career yeah. because they make leaps. But isn't it a, a, a job of... And I say leader, I don't mean that's the CEO because we're all leaders in certain ways. Yes. To bring them along and go make them feel comfortable. Yes, that's absolutely right. And I think and I think you should never, wherever, whatever you do and wherever you are and whatever you're trying to do, none of us are immune to it. I have to give myself a good talking to on a few, on quite a few occasions. If it's, if it's a thing that, you know, that you're going into and you might not be 100% sure about, but you have to talk to yourself and tell yourself that exactly that, that you've done this for a long time and you have, you can probably get out of the situation, you know, you can get out in a comfortable and a, in a, you know, a kind of a good way in the situation. And I think that that's, it's how you weight these things, I think. It's how you weight these things. Don't weight things against yourself. Try and weight them, you know, in your favour. And, because um, we're not, yeah, we're not superhuman. No one's superhuman. We all have the same foibles and the kind of strange anxieties. So, hold on. You know, did think, you not see me play football? That surely well, that was. Well, that was uh, yeah. That was ironclad. I think they call that. <laughs> and I think you were. <laughs> you certainly ran like it. <laughs> well, I just I just remembered that um, just for our listeners that we always chose our goalkeepers who all had glasses, by yeah. the way, yeah. who were, I, and I, I'm not being rude when I say this and I hope they don't, they weren't the best goalkeepers in the world, but we chose them because they were nice blokes. And we once had a really, really super, superb goalkeeper who nobody liked and we never <laughs> invited him back. And didn't and, wear glasses either, which was like... <laughs> that goes down against him, you know. <laughs> Do you find yourself funny? I like, I don't know if I find myself funny. I just like joking about things. I like making gags. I like, I, I just, yeah. I don't know if I, I am, I make, if I make people laugh, that's great. But I like, you know, I just like, I just like to try and be funny. I don't know, that, let's just say try and be funny. Well, well, good luck with that. Yeah, well, thank you. Tell, tell me when it happens, will you? I'll tell you, I'll give you a big wink when I'm going to make a joke. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's a very difficult question. Maybe you're funny to some people. Maybe you're, you're just a bit of an idiot to others. I don't know. Well, and you said it earlier on, but I'd just like to sort of re-emphasise. Do you think it's important to laugh at yourself? I mean, not take yourself too seriously, effectively. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to laugh at yourself. We're just imperfect people. <laughs> We're completely imperfect. And you speak goes, for yourself, mate. Well, exactly. I thought I'd get that. <laughs> <laughs> there we are, you know, we go through life and we're not perfect in any way, shape or form, I think.
but do, do we want people to be perfect? Because isn't imperf imperfection more enticing for everybody else? If, if everybody's think, uh, if you're saying I'm perfect now, I want you to get up to my standards. I think it creates a barrier, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think, but I think unfortunately it's a societal thing sometimes because I think we're in an age or we're in, uh, you know, a period of time particularly with social media, I think, that where we, a lot of people feel the need to be perfect. You know, you just have to look at someone, take a selfie and, um, or, or 25 selfies to get the right one, you know, um, because there, there is that need online to live a life, you know, online, you know, that which is, um, which kind of gives off this kind of perfect atmosphere, you know, doing everything, having, doing great things all the time, looking great all the time. Uh, yeah, I think it's dangerous. And it's that whole thing about, you know, I, everything about my life and I is retouched until you think, which I don't think breeds warmth. Really, I, I've seen CEOs who want to be the model of perfection. Right. Do you think that drives a wedge between people when that happens, uh, that people set themselves up to be, well, surely that's a setup to, for somebody to knock you off your pedestal, is it? I think I, I think it's to what degree. I mean, if you take music, there are people who, who want to be technically perfect. And, you know, you have to look at any a concert pianist or a concert violinist, or they, they spend their lives being per, wanting to be perfect you know um but i think i think it's that's but that's a perfection in a technique and that's a perfection in um doing something within your life not that's maybe not to, i think there's a distinction of that and being trying to be perfect as a per, origin perfection as a person you know you might say in business that if you're a manager or you're whatever you're doing in business um that you want to be perfect all the time but I think there's a distinction between being perfect at a technique at something that you're doing and actually trying to be perfect yourself. Because I, I think it's you're, you're, it's a losing battle. You're never going to be perfect yourself. So I'd give that one up quite quickly, and <laughs> you know, and actually sh and show your flaws because I think it's a lot more endearing and I think people will warm to you more. But I, but I don't. But I, but but being a musician, I completely understand the idea of being technically perfect, and some people strive for that perfection. Well, but then you are uh, you are automatically going to be disappointed because the I mean I I get striving for it yeah but do you beat yourself up if you don't actually reach that level of perfection every time? Well, I think then we get into the distinction, don't we, of you as a uh, and your technique as a musician and you as a person, and if you can make the distinction between the two, then I think they can live. You know what I mean? I think I think if you can shut that part off of your life where you're going I want to be technically perfect but I know I'm not a perfect person if you make the distinction between the two I think it's something that you can live with you know do you do you think people laugh enough in the workplace whether that's as musicians or when you're a, I know you're a top graphic designer as well you know do you think there's enough of it or is it prized enough I think it's that's a very good way of putting it actually it should be prized and it should be prized at the uh, at the and and knowing and knowing when it's prized is a real skill I think in the workplace you know as I say there's moments when yeah you should be quiet there are moments when you should be serious and there are moments when you should be funny and if you can 
achieve that balance, then I think I think it's then it then it's pretty perfect. I think. Mark, if I asked you to write a business case for humour, what would you include in it? The case more would be is to work on. I would take it a slightly different way. I would actually take it more about how people get along as people. I would maybe put as a business case. I would actually put if you want ask me to put money aside. I would, yeah, I would uh, probably put money aside to let people talk about how they feel. I would say that would be I, that would be my thing. I think. Okay. Well, as it's your specialist subject, I, I, I'd like to talk the the business case w relative to creativity. Right. You know w w what elements uh, of humour uh, is there that we need to be more creative? It's just setting up an atmosphere that puts you in that position that it allows things, you know, allows the creativity to flow. You know, it's if you can if you can set a really nice atmosphere you'll find that you'll be more creative. I mean, you know, it's the old thing. If you're, so there are two ways creatively that you can work is that you can set something up, have a lot of time, really consider it, but then sometimes it doesn't work. On the other hand, sometimes you need a deadline to really focus you and, you know, to get over that line, um, you need that pressure. But hopefully within that pressure, as we've been talking about, you've created an atmosphere that allows you to feel the pressure but not let it overwhelm you. And I think any in a if you if you're in a business and you want to put money aside for something like that, I think it's to foster those kind of atmospheres within a business. That's where I would put the money, I think. And and I would add into this, you know, some companies are saying the first thing what we're going to lose is any business entertainment, or you're not going to invite them for a Christmas party or right. uh, do that. And I would always say, I think your return on investment is huge yes. for those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's that thing of going to the Christmas party and having a few drinks and dancing, wearing silly hats and, you know, and and again, it's showing your flaws, maybe in a way as well, you know, and just show and just relaxing with the people you spend a hell of a lot of time with throughout the year. I think you do get a return. I think you get a massive return in Denmark. On Friday afternoons, a lot of businesses let their uh, workers go early and almost uh, and what it's taken as that you go early and you go and pick your kids up from school, basically. And instead of saying it's Friday afternoon, you've got to stay here for another hour, another hour and a half, which maybe invariably you're just watching the clock tick down when well, you're not really being productive anyway, because you're going, oh, it's the weekend, I'm knackered. I just need to go, you know, go to a bar and have a drink or I need just to go home and have some dinner. They say, leave. It's fine. Leave an hour early, but go and pick up, you know, go and do something. Go and pick up your kids, you know, go and see them. Go and get some shop, nice food. Go and get some shopping. And it's that attitude, which I think is very interesting, you know, is that you're not you're not ruling by the clock or whatever. You're saying you're saying to people, you work very hard. And really, sometimes you need to make a division from hard work and actually your family or how you feel as a person or what you like doing, you know, and there's and there's no guilt or shame in that. That's exactly what you should be doing, because when you come back to work on Monday and in fact, funny enough, Danes start work earlier than they do in the UK. I think they start about half past eight normally. Um, you'll be fresh. 
and you'll be ready to sort of work again and you and and you make the workplace uh, a very nice place to be so because you've changed the atmosphere to yeah. a lightness because you've done that so that's really the return on investment isn't it really yeah. you're 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 getting people who are in a good humor yeah uh and therefore probably being more creative probably yeah. being more productive yeah um because you're treating them in the right way yeah and i think this i i, I can't couldn't tell you a precise study but i'm i'm sure there has been studies that says that their productivity doesn't go down by doing that you know in fact in some cases it gets better because they feel a lot fresher well it's it's funny because um as you know i used to be signed to virgin records and uh, i had a lot to do and i and, you know, I know that people are split on, you know, whether they like Richard Branson, don't like Richard Branson, all those kind of things. But what I thought he did especially well in the early days, and I think you remember those early days, is he made everything fun. Mm. You were probably invited to uh, some of those parties. I mean, I was I was whisked away for four days in Miami with members of Queen and, right. you know, and and actually um, Jules Holland, who you work with and people like that. And it was just and you could say it was, uh, as we uh, call it in London, a jolly. Yeah. But what it did is it engendered such good feelings. Yeah. That it kind of made everybody want Virgin Atlantic to succeed. And, and I think that's now with accountants running everything and they go, well, how can we discern that there will be a return on investment from that? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think obviously, you know, like big companies spend fortunes in advertising agencies trying to make people like them, you know, trying to actually divert, you know, divert away from the fact that they are they wanting you to buy stuff and that's how they make their profits, you know. Um, yeah, I, people do. I mean, he's, yeah, I think he's Richard Brand. I mean, I know he's, he's coming for a hell of a lot of bad press recently for various reasons, but at the time it was quite refreshing, wasn't it? That he was this, this guy, he was having a great time. So it was a very simple thing. He was having a great time with his company. So why don't you come along and have a great time as well? It changes the atmosphere. Good humor yeah. changes the atmosphere and yeah. people want to be involved in it. You know, your band Madness I think are in the changing atmosphere game as much as they are in the music game. Mm. They are, you know, you are offering essentially a feel good pill. And you go, we'll feel good. We'll, you know, have fun on stage and we'll everything. And it will be so much so that you will go there. I mean, you have had sometimes the same fans coming back for 40 years. Yeah. Any business that has you know, such loyal customers, you know, could do worse than look at the success of a really long running band uh, like yours. What are they doing? There's that creates that level of loyalty. It is quite remarkable how we've taken people with us and brought people along with us. And I don't know if that is just that with the years passing, it reminds people of being younger and doing what they were doing at the time. That's probably part of it as well. But also I hope and which what we we are seeing, of course, is they're bringing their children now uh, to enjoy it. So, again, that that's fantastic, you know, because it's something they can do together and hopefully enjoy it. I mean, 
we maybe we we can divert a little bit because it's interesting that man has got has got down he's very sophisticated in using humor which may be humorous on the surface but sometimes humor is used to deliver quite a dark message and we do that a lot by musically being quite up and quite fun but lyrically being quite dark and marrying the two together and that's i mean that's that's um that's quite an interesting use of humor i think you know that you think on the surface things are great and fun but there is a sort of darkness underneath which is probably black as i say gallows humor a lot of the time well but also can be used and i know you know political with a small p points you know that yeah. that that can be very and that's what artists do to an extent yeah but you know and it it works on many levels but i mean that's amazing to be able to use i actually think humor is one of the most effective tools of, of pricking the bubble of hypocrisy as well yes yeah and you know i mean what's happening with you know trump in america is i think probably the the, the most uh, thing that cuts him to the quick most of all is that he is a figure of fun to a lot of people and right. and and he takes himself very very seriously yeah and i think the, the the best i think that only recently have people worked out that that's his achilles heel yes yes because he has no sense of humor no <laughs> no none at all none if you've thinking about someone who's devoid of any sense of humor I mean, can you, um, he doesn't really crack, he can't crack a joke, can he? He, he just makes some terrible, terrible sort of statement. Of, of, and actually, it's laughing at people. More, more well, that's the thing, I, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. not self-deprecating, no, is no. it? No, no, no. And, and, and whether people love Obama or they don't love Obama, yeah. he really got it. Yes. On the, look, I can take a joke and, yeah. and the world tends to laugh with those people yeah. who can take a joke. I mean, it's something we haven't talked about as much, but it, it comes to mind with Trump and uh, a certain prime minister, um, is that you can start off with this bumbling, funny, you know, sort of character. Oh, you know, he's really, really... And it, actually, it's quite dangerous because if you're taken in by it, you're taken in by this sort of like bumbling funny but in fact and you know under the surface they're actually quite mean and quite vicious you know and it's that's that's been a very interesting act to observe actually in this country um but you re you actually realize it is an act and because the british i think because it's actually uh, uh, we could probably get into talking about the british the british sense of humor and actually brits you know quite like that kind of thing you just have to think of someone like eddie the eagle you know who was the plucky, plucky sort of ski? What what, what do they call those? Oh, he's a plucky, he's a plucky, uh, plucky loser. Essentially, yes. we yeah. love a plucky like loser. Massive glasses and like really thick glasses, really short-sighted, and he was mad enough to ski down a massive slope and jump off the end of it. You know, and he's a folk hero in this country, yeah, and he's exactly. you know he's had a film made of his life. Yeah, and we we do like a plucky loser. Yes, but but what he is doing is is showing himself up and going, look, I am that. Yeah. And I was slightly delusional and I was that. Um, 
but at least I did it. Yes. And I know I, I think it's a, it's a really, really good point. Um, we've, we've been talking about all the positives, but have you ever had used humour that crossed the line? Um, yeah, I think as we talked about, you can be sometimes be quite sort of, you know, caustic and quite sort of, as you say, sharp tongued. And sometimes you feel bad about it afterwards. You know, if you really are using humour to belittle someone. And there are a lot of short, sharp tongued people in the music business who have a go at one another. And even, you know, you use humour, you use that really kind of quite caustic humour in bands to uh, make a point, you know, with the thing of belittling someone, you know. And you feel, yeah. and invariably, I think you feel bad about it after, but, you know. I, did, I, I think that's one of the things that people don't always understand about humour, that it has to go near to the line. Yeah. And sometimes it will cross. Yes. And I mean, I've done it myself. I've used humour uh, and then gone, that was too much. Right. And, you know, I suppose uh, with, I was going to say with age comes wisdom, but it hasn't really. But <laughs> but, but it beca you become a little bit more aware of, of when to push it. And uh, yes. I think I'm, I'm I, the only thing I'm better at is saying, not saying it yeah when it could it, it could get a cheap laugh but yeah. i you know i don't i, I now s stamp on it a little bit more would you say that there's a a merit system within comedy are, are comedians are they more admired for not having to use that kind of humor or or are actually are other comedians going when someone's really laying into someone in in the audience are they going oh i wish i could wish I, I could I had the balls to do that or I wish I could do that or I think it's all circumstantial I mean right. in the the early days when uh, we were all playing the comedy store it was about survival right and so there was a camaraderie of like you know no you use anything to survive and and that's what you know that's why humor and comedy is the ultimate um the ultimate binary code either people laugh or they don't laugh yeah they you know where you are yeah and, uh, and and if you get it wrong and they don't laugh that's why all comedians call it dying because it's the closest thing you you yeah. can have you know whereas uh, and, and maybe this is you know not so true for a band, but I always found that a band, you could play music and having doing comedy and music, you could get away with it a little bit more because, you know, they just wouldn't clap very hard. Yeah. You know, uh, or, you know, you know that they haven't loved it. Right. But there's a thing. But a comedian, you do the setup, you do the gag, it falls on its arse then there's just silence. Yeah. And that, and that's, you know, that's really, really, probably the harshest critic is, is, is silence. Right, yeah. Have you ever gotten yourself out of trouble by using your humour? I did when I was a kid quite a lot. I quite famously, um, me and some friends went to a party and um, we got confronted by a gang of skinheads and by sheer humour alone, we managed to not get beaten up. 
So that was quite an important lesson to learn. So it's that I think maybe in my earlier days, humor was used to get out of the odd sticky situation, I must admit. In business, is it survival of the fittest or survival of the funniest? It's got to be a bit of both, hasn't it, really? If you can marry the two together, then I think you're winning, maybe. We're going to come to quick fire questions. And by the way, here's your opportunity to do the, uh, the, um, <laughs> to compose that jingle. Oh, that jingle that you've always wanted for this. Yeah. <laughs> quick fire questions. I keep saying it. Quick fire questions, just in the hope that one day I'll have a jingle. Quick fire questions that we're going to end with. Who's the funniest person you've ever met? I naturally, absurdly funny. It's probably Vic Rees, I would say. Oh, great. What book makes you laugh? Um, there's a fantastic book called A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Tool. That's a great book. What film makes you laugh? I remember as a kid, I loved Laurel and Hardy. And there's that film. I had to look this up and it. It's I called it fish, fish, who'll buy my fish? But it actually it's called um, Toad in the Hole. It's where they are selling fish from their car and then they buy a boat. And and Stan Laurel gets his head stuck behind the mask and Hardy has the paintbrush stuck to his chin. And anyway, I mean, that as a kid, that I, I was his, that made, it was absolutely made me laugh out loud. And then I suppose in later life, you mentioned Spinal Tap for any musician is just such a funny film. Very close to the mark, but very funny. And I like, I kind of like gentle, more gentle comedy in film. So I like things like Being There, um, the Peter Sellers film. Peter Sellers. Yeah. yeah. What word makes you laugh? Oh, um, I tell you what I do. I say what I do. It doesn't make me laugh. Um, I laugh at myself because I use the word irony miles too much. And the irony is, I can just hear myself saying it, and it makes me laugh. I think. Stop saying it. You're just saying it too much. So that would be something yeah, off the top of my head, I think, I probably. is a weird okay. quirk that I have. What's not funny? I think what we talked about, I think humour that, that belittles and anything, that, yeah, and particularly race, you know, obviously the obvious things have anything to do with race and I think religion as well, uh, because I think religion should be, even though religion is quite bizarre and actually can should be poked fun at sometimes i don't think people should be made to feel small by the kind of religion that they have or follow would you rather be considered clever or funny oh jesus christ <laughs> yeah i suppose clever in a funny way <laughs> <laughs> all right we come to the uh, last part of the show where we which i've called and stolen Desert Island gags. If you could only take one joke to a desert island, what joke would that be? It would be um, two cannibals are sitting over a dead comedian and one says to the other, does this taste funny to you? <laughs> it's not a huge belly laughing joke, but it works on so many different levels. And it's like really, really, I just really love that joke. It's a brilliant gag and yeah. a brilliant way to end an absolutely brilliant interview. Mark Bedford, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Paul. The Humorology podcast was hosted by Paul Barros and produced by Simon Banks. 
Music by Steve Hayworth, creative direction by Les Hughes, and additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.